You can see me. All right. How you guys doing? Great to chat with you. Thank you so much for uh, dropping by tonight. We are going to be doing the documentary. Um, sorry, we were going to start at nine, but uh, we are uh, we're obviously waiting for approval from the Central Party of China uh, to make sure that that is uh, is working. And I'm going to do a Q and A. Anything you guys want to chat about? Anything you want to ask about? The documentary is going to come as soon as it's ready. Uh, I will be like. Whoosh, I will be skyhooked off the side of your screen, and we will go straight to the documentary. And, and I hope it's not going to be a late night. It should be. Uh, it should be um, uh, out out shortly. Uh, we're just waiting for it to finish up, and we'll go straight straight to it. It's a really really great documentary. I dare say it's going to be kind of cool. I think to be um, to have seen it first, to have been here at the start of things, and uh, be here at the beginning and see the documentary as it goes live. And um, <clears throat> I don't know what you guys want to chat about. I'm willing to, happy to ask some, uh, answer some questions. Um, I've also had, um, I guess, uh, another one of my <laughs> semi-volcanic tweets that went out today, and... Uh, my tweet was this. I can't believe Taylor Swift is about to turn 30. And it's true, man. She uh, She's going to turn 30 on the 13th, I think it is, of December. She's, and she does. She looks preternaturally young. She's got one of these, like, baby faces and so on. I mean, I have a little bit. But, man, she's got serious dewy-eyed baby face. But uh, And I said, it's strange to think that 90% of her eggs are already gone, 97% by the time she turns 40. So I hope she thinks about having kids before it's too late. She'd be a fun mom. And, uh, you know, it's one of these things, like, I guess by now, I know <laughs> that people are going to go a little ape crappy uh, on this kind of stuff, but uh, it just strikes me as kind of odd how strange people find these sort of basic biological facts. What does it mean <laughs> that I'm talking about? Like, people are like, it's so creepy, man. It's so creepy. And you're bald. You're bald and you're creepy. It's like... <laughs> What does that even mean? I mean, I know what it means. I just don't know what it means in the context of what it is that I'm saying. I mean, I think, I'll, t I'll tell you what I think, and you guys can, of course, let me know. Uh, I'm, I've got my pings on. Sorry about that. I know that's kind of annoying, but I need to get the ping from John when the, um, when the documentary is ready. So it is odd to me. Like, yeah, I think, I think Taylor Swift, so she grew up, she, I think she grew up on a Christmas tree farm. I mean, it's pretty wholesome. According to the pictures I've seen of her family, they seem like nice enough people and so on. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard, to, I think, to scrub that out, even with fame and all the other stuff she's been up to. And so all the success that you have, it kind of fades away relative to, you know, the joy of having kids and all that kind of good stuff. So, yeah, I, uh, I hope that she does uh, think about having kids. And, of course, it's a reminder to other women that, uh, you know, time, time marches on. I've done shows with women who've passed 40 and they kind of, there's this weird swivel, right? So in your 30s, you, if you're a woman, of course, you can date men in your 30s and you can date men in your 20s even, uh, in their 20s. But when you pass 40, there's this kind of weird flip. And now suddenly it's guys in their 60s that you can date. Because of course, for a guy in his 60s, he doesn't want kids. So a woman who's not in her 30s is kind of a benefit to him because otherwise a woman in her 30s is like, I want kids, I want kids often. And he may have already 
had his kids. They've all grown up. He doesn't want to start again with round two. And so for a guy in his 60s, a woman who's post-fertile has some real benefits. Now, it's kind of a weird flip then for the women who go like pre-40, you can date guys in their 30s, maybe even guys in their mid to late 20s. But then over 40, and again, it's not like night and day, and there's lots of exceptions, but over 40, women kind of flip to this dating world where the guys are in their 60s. And they go from like being the hot date, the sort of hot cougar in a sense, to like a part-time nurse sometimes. And guys who are kind of creaky and uh, kind of, you know, they they leave some, they drop something on the ground and unless it's worth more than five bucks, you know, you get over 60, I assume, you just kind of leave it there because <laughs> it's not worth bending down to to pick it up. So yeah, it is, uh, it is really uh, wildly upsetting to people to point out these basic biological facts. And uh, I think she would be a fun mom. I mean, it might be kind of tough for her to navigate away from the massive hyperstimulation of fame, but uh, I think she'd be a, I think she'd be a fun mom. And uh, I, I hope that she does have kids. I, I think that uh, there is a woman who was a mystery writer. I think she was in, in the 50s. I can't remember her name. She was a mystery writer. And she won like every conceivable award you could you could possibly imagine. And she hated it all because she was like, you know, I, I want, I want kids. I just, I, I want kids. Like she looks at her awards and she actually wrote about this quite compellingly. She, she looked at her awards all lining the shelf and she hated them because she saw not these awards, I'm paraphrasing here, but she saw not just these awards, but she saw little gravestones. You know, that was the year I worked that hard on that novel, and I did that book tour, and then I signed that movie deal, and and blah, 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 and I I had these award ceremonies that I went to, and I was, you know, flying high, and all of that. But all of that was like, well, I can't have kids because of this novel, and I can't have kids because i got to work on this movie deal, and I can't have kids because, because, right? So she looks at all these awards that are just, it's just dead stuff on your shelf gathering dust. You know, the awards aren't going to gather around you. They're not going to give you life. They're not going to accompany you in conversation into your old age. And, you know, when we get old, I mean, it's not like we're useless, <laughs> but, you know, we we lose a lot, right? You lose your flexibility, you lose your physical strength, you, you start becoming prey to, you know, these odd ailments and so on. And my goodness, you, you got to have bound people to you before you start to, you know, you want to, you want to in a sense sell the, the used car before it's seven different colors, and you got to open the door with a coat hanger and stuff. It's just, it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. And so when I remind women, of course, about this, you know, 90% of your eggs are dead at 30 or gone at 30 and 97% by the time you're 40, it gives a sort of chill wind of mortality to them. And that chill wind of mortality is really, really alarming for them. And I, I, again, I understand why. I, I sort of understand that the the reality of it, which is if they have relied on being, you know, tough girl, sexually attractive, hotties or whatever, and and they've been milking male attention through their looks and and potential sexual availability and so on, well, that's not the stuff that's going to get you a quality husband. That's not the stuff that's going to make you a great mom or a great wife or a great companion or whatever it is that is more than just sex appeal. And so by switching the currency to babies from sexuality, those who have focused so much on sexual appeal find that their currency is being devalued 
right? There's that old line from old line from I guess these days a really old movie, uh, Tom Cruise's first I think big breakout role, Risky Business. So the guy says, "In a recession, never f with another man's income or another man's business or whatever it is, right?" And when you shift the focus of female attractiveness from sexuality to motherhood, which is really the whole point of male and female sexuality, when you shift the focus from sexuality to motherhood, then those who've been overly invested in sexuality find that currency devalued. And those who have developed qualities of character that make them good moms and, and good companions and good wives and all that, well, their currency goes up, right? So the sexual currency goes down, quality of personality currency goes up. And this is why people, um, particularly women, but some men too, lash out. They lash out extremely violently, I mean verbally violently and all of that, when anything threatens their particular sexual market value. And again, sexual market value is just for dating and for companionship and, and maybe for marriage and so on. But if your sexual market value is focused on sex, sexual access, sexual appeal and all that, like that woman, Daphne Dolphin or whatever it was, who was selling her bathwater. <laughs> I mean, that's like nobody's lining up for my bathwater. But um, if you're reducing people's sexual market value, they're going to lash out very strongly because they've invested in the wrong things. Like investing in just being sexy and just being appealing and all that kind of stuff is a real dead-end street. And it's playing a losing game because, you know, you can you can focus on being sexually attractive and sexually appealing and all that. And what happens? Well, nature is just like, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> no problem. You can do whatever you want. But um, what actually happens is your currency is going to decline over time. And pointing out ahead of time that decline over time is, I think, what responsible people do to to try and help other people be be happy, right? I mean, wouldn't you want to be notified like if you had a stock that was worth i don't know something like a million dollars you had a stock that was worth a million dollars and somebody knew ahead of time and and you didn't know that your stock was going to go to zero right in in like 10 years or I mean, wouldn't you want to know so that you could sort of cash it in so to speak well that's you know women are born wealthy and and get poorer as time goes along and they imagine this this million dollars of attraction that they hold right that it's just going to, what, last or increase in value? It's not. It's not because the million dollars is around babies. The million dollars is around motherhood. The million, And it is literally a million dollars, or it can be, right? Like if you, uh, um, just to take sort of simple math, right? Like if you're a woman and you have the qualities of character and personality and virtue that get a guy to commit to you and you can stay home and raise his kids for 10 years, right? And, you know, let's say... Let's say he's wealthy, right? Like he makes $200,000 a year or something like that, right? Okay, so you're getting half of that. Or really, it's actually more than that. You could even say something like 120000 and change because women spend like 80% of the money that men make, when, especially when they're wives and kids, right? So you get like $100,000 a year for 10 years by having qualities of character and having the guy pay for your room and board and bills and vacations and clothing and kids, right, while you're home raising his kids. Now, you're working for it. It's not free money. It's not vacation money. I mean, being, being a parent is, is a committed, important, essential job. But you got this million-dollar lottery ticket, so to speak, right? And come 40, it burns up in your hand. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to be wealthy. Wait, where did it go? Whoa, ow, hot, hot, hot. Well, I guess 
it burns up because you're no longer hot, right? I mean, because once your fertility collapses, the million-dollar deal is mostly off the table. And I get it, you know, there's exceptions, but, but in general, you got this million-dollar ticket, and, you know, if it's going to be 20 years, you stay home. The guy only has to be making 60000 for you to get your million dollars, right? So if you got this winning lottery ticket and some guy comes along and says, and you think, oh, it's going to last forever, and you, you don't get any job skills because you just got, I get a million dollars, you know, win a million dollars, right? And some guy comes along and says, oh, that thing's going to lose value very soon, right? You, you panic, you freak out. It's like, oh, maybe I should have got a little bit of education. Maybe I should have picked up a couple of job skills. Maybe I should have done something of value, right? So this is why people find it creepy. They find it really, really creepy. And that's because, well, I think they themselves are creepy in using this sexual manipulation in order to gain resources, right, without having to provide anything back other than sex. And, you know, for women in particular to hold out their... TNA to hold out sexual access and to gain resources that way without committing to becoming a good person, a good mother, a good wife, a good companion and all that. Uh, it's kind of like stealing it, because men are programmed to give resources to women so that women can raise their kids, right? Hopefully the men's kids too, right? So women can raise their kids and run their house. That, that's why we're programmed to give women resources. Right? That's why when I did the speech in Orlando recently, I hope you'll check it out, what men most want to say to women. When the girl ahead of me asked for a pencil during a math test, I just gave it to her <laughs> because, you know, whatever. I mean, we all know the reason why. So it's a form of theft to dangle sexual access in return for resources with no plans or goals to becoming a quality companion or mother or wife. Now, you can do it. It's not like it should be illegal. You can do whatever you want as far as you're not violating the non-aggression principle. But it's milking the mad tsunami of male hormones in a deal that is supposed to involve commitment and children, but without involving any of those things. And that is, a, it's a creepy thing. It is a form of predatory vampiric theft. of See, look, women don't earn or create or are responsible for male sexual desire. Right. I mean, that's just programmed into us, right? Just the men being hot and bothered and horny and, you know, young, dumb and full of, <laughs> come here. Anyway, uh, that is, that's just, that's nature, right? And for women to sort of say, well, I have value because nature is pumping men full of hormones and lust and all of that kind of stuff. It's wrong. It's not, you haven't earned that value. You, I mean, I think, think of the amount of work that I have to put into this show, and you'll see this with the documentary. When I think of the amount of work that I have to put into this kind of stuff, it's uh, it's really crazy, right? And, you know, I hope that you guys appreciate it, and I hope that you will uh, help out the show at uh, freedomain.com forward slash donate, freedomain.com forward slash donate, especially when you see the documentary, which I'm very, very proud of. But I think about the amount of work and education and risk and blowback and feedback and hatred and right that I have to sort of put up with, or I guess in a way embrace, to do this show and then, you know, women <laughs> just have to wear a tight skirt. Like, it's, it's what drives people nutty about this rather coarse term, the thoughts, right? That, uh, you know, you just, you put on some makeup and a low-cut top and you you twitch game and woohoo, you've just made $5,000 a month or something like that, right? And um, it is not fair. 
it is not fair. Now, of course, all of that used to occur because it would occur in the realm of commitment, right? Monogamy, right? Because you would get sexual access after you vowed in the face of God and community to love, honor, and obey each other in better, for better and for worse, in sickness and in health until death do you part. So then you get sexual access after the woman has committed to you for her life, right? And, and that way your resources are flowing into her for the sake of companionship and mothering and child raising and household running and all that kind of stuff, right? And so for all of the sexual access and all of this resource transferring to be occurring in the absence of the actual biological driver behind that deal, it is kind of creepy and it is kind of, it's very exploitive and it's kind of thefty, if that makes sense. It's not thefty like you're shoplifting, but it is definitely exploiting hormones over which men have very little control. And uh, it doesn't, let me sort of make sure I, I, I make that clear. I don't mean that men aren't responsible for what they do on the basis of lust, but the presence of lust is not really within your command or control because those hormones are just kind of coursing and, and all of that kind of stuff. So, all right, let's uh, thank you for that little intro. I hope that was interesting and useful. And please don't forget to follow me on Twitter to see all of these uh, Krakatoa crazies uh, going on. But uh, let's hear. Uh, let me just pop out this little chat thing here. And let's answer some questions. Remember to be nice. On <laughs> Come on, it's the internet. Let's see here. Was, was society doomed from the beginning of time? You know, it's a, it's a very, very tough. Oh, uh, uh, how come you only have the one child? Uh, I would uh, like to have had more. Uh, it was just not, uh, it was not up, up to me. Uh, and uh, there are some things just beyond your, your control. So I had a, a, as many children as I could. So uh, let's see here. Was society doomed from the beginning of time? You know, when you have a statist society, like a society with a state, you have a big problem with success. You have a huge problem with success. And it's really, really brutal to, to see it in action and to see it in operation. So what I mean by that is when you have a redistribution of society or you have a government at the center, so when it's small government, you get a lot of free markets, you get a lot of economic growth, and then you get inequality, right? Because freedom breeds inequality. When there's no such thing as a recording industry, uh, singers can't usually get very rich. You get maybe a couple of people who can sing opera or whatever, but you know, most of the good singers like uh, Bono Vox or, or John Bon Jovi or whatever, they'd just be, you know, guys who were like the best singer in the local village, right? And maybe they'd tour a little bit on the weekends, but, you know, there really wasn't much money to be made in singing back then. There's no recording, no amplification, no concerts usually, at least not other than just local people who could hear you. And so you had not much inequality between, say, people who were good and bad singers, but when you start to get a free market, you start to get technological innovation and so on, then you start to get a lot of inequality. And then when you get a lot of inequality, what happens is people say, oh no, this inequality is really bad, so we've got to take from the rich and give to the poor. And then you end up subsidizing bad behaviors on the part of the poor. You end up disincentivizing people from becoming rich. The rich people say, oh my God, the poor are out to get us. We're like Shrek and they're the villagers with pitchforks and, and torches. So we now we've got to gain control of the state in order to protect ourselves from the dangers of rampant property rights violating democracy. And it just escalates. And then the governments say, wow, 
you know, we uh, we're no longer umpires. We're in the game, right? And they start jury rigging things, and they start manipulating things, and doing the business. The bid, the um, they do the the um, the bidding of the very rich and the very poor in general, and they end up borrowing because the government doesn't produce any particular value. So in order to pretend that it's somehow a valued economic partner, it just has to borrow from uh, from people. And so then they try to smooth out this inequality with massive income redistributions and borrowing, and that just kills and collapses the economy. So when you have success, because there's a small government, it ends up growing a very big and redistributionist government because of sentimentality and often female voting. And then you end up with this collapse. And you could um, you can avoid this if you have a stateless society, right? You can avoid this if you have a stateless society, but you can't avoid it with a stateless society because especially when the education is run by the government, which is usually the first thing they get a hold of. And once they get a hold of the government, uh, the government gets a hold of of Early childhood education. I mean, your fate is, your fate is uh, sealed. All right. Let's see here. Uh, let me just see what else we have in terms of questions. Uh, what is your take on the porn banning slash regulation debate that has been taking place on Twitter? Shouldn't parents be responsible for what the kids watch on the internet? Yeah, you know, this. Um, there are a lot of... Um, There is a lot of avenues, of course, through which children can get access to, you know, horrifying stuff on the internet. And I don't know, parents responsible? How, how you know, some some kid with a cell phone at school, or they go over to a friend's place. Like, it's really tough for parents to, to manage all of this kind of stuff. And we do try and keep dangerous and mind-warping material away from kids. So I think it's really hard to make the case that pornography should be this massive exception to alcohol to uh to drugs uh to to violent movies to like all the stuff that we generally say shouldn't be around kids and you know how this works in a government uh you know i guess you could try and work it the same way that you work other things like alcohol and so on which is obviously not exactly perfect but uh, i do think that you know, trying to keep this stuff away from kids is a really good idea. How you do it, well, I mean, that's a whole that's a whole other thing. I think that the best thing to do, you know, stabilize the family, make families stronger, make families better. That's the very best thing because prevention is far better than than cure. So, um, uh, what is your stance on China creating their own Chinese cryptocurrency? Do you see any innovation or promise in crypto? Also. Yeah, I mean, I've said this for many years, and you can see my video from many, many years ago, the truth about a Bitcoin, and I did a whole series of speeches and debates on Bitcoin and interviews on Bitcoin. So uh, yeah, crypto is is the future. Uh, if there is a future, and I think that there is, then crypto is the future. China, of course, has a huge problem insofar as they are sitting on massive, massive amounts of U.S. treasuries. And everybody can do the math and recognize that the path that the U.S. is on is utterly unsustainable. You know, the old $180 trillion of unfunded liabilities and so on. And so it is something that, you know, if, if they were to recognize the true, quote, value of their U.S. treasuries, they would have to mark down a whole bunch of assets that they're currently sitting on, which they don't want to do because it would be very harmful for their economy. 
So the fact that they're trying to branch out into something else is, uh, is perfectly, perfectly understandable. Bitcoin isn't going to work when there's no electricity. <laughs> um, well, you know, if there's no electricity, I, I don't think Bitcoin not working is going to be your, <laughs> your biggest issue. If there's no electricity, I mean, good heavens, right? Good heavens, right? Uh, let's see here. Will Israel disappear someday? I, I don't see why. I mean, Israel is full of enormously intelligent and talented people, and they're a nuclear power, so I do not, uh, I do not think so. Uh, let's see here. What's destroying masculinity? Well, um, the welfare state is destroying masculinity in general, right? The welfare state is destroying masculinity because the old sex for resources, right, female Females give up sex in order for men to gain resources. And the sex is kind of the promise and the fulfillment is what I mentioned before, like kids and, and motherhood and so on. So when, I mean, you, you can think of sort of pornography in a way similar to the welfare state because pornography allows men to get sexual satisfaction without involving women. And the welfare state allows women to get men's resources without having to please men. Now, I get one of them is... is Co it's a violation of the non-aggression principle. The other is tough, right? Because there are so many people involved in pornography who come from extraordinarily brutalized childhoods and who are drug addicts. And oh my gosh, it's just a real mess, right? So um, that is the, uh, that's the mess, right? A two-year-old is burned by a pot of hot water. Whose fault is it? His mom or the child? Well, it's the mom's fault or the dad's, right? Because um, it is your job as a parent, to keep your child in a safe environment, right? So you you keep your child away from the stove. You make sure that the boiling water has the handles pointed to the back so we can't reach it. You talk to the child about staying away from it. It's your job. You know, it doesn't mean that you're totally evil. The accidents can happen. But, um, uh, yeah, it is the parent's responsibility to keep the child in a safe environment, right? So a paladin or cleric in D&D. I was a paladin. I was a paladin in Dungeons and Dragons. I, I played, I played a dwarf fighter named Sereg, who made it to third level before being killed by a bugbear while protecting the escape of his highly wounded comrades. Which I thought was not a great way to go, but you know, certainly one of the more honorable ways to go in the fantasy land of Dungeons and Dragons. And, and then I played his brother Scarab, and then. <laughs> And then I played a guy named Titanus. I thought, hey, that's a cool name, man. Titanus. He was a, a tank. He was a fighter. I was just going to roll dice. I wasn't going to have any of these complicated spell nonsense. And uh, Titanus was just a great name, I thought. And then I changed that because somebody said, well, if you pronounce it differently, it's not Titanus. It's Titanus. And that did not... That did not bespeak the kind of noble qualities of character that I was looking for in Titanus. So then I became... Uh, a paladin, and that was the role that I played. I got to 20th level, I ascended to demigodhood, and it was really, really cool. Would you be interested in doing a call-in show about procrastination? I'm in my early 20s. I would absolutely. I'm sorry for a couple, I had a couple of problems with uh, email lately, so uh, if you did, um, for a week or two, email me about a call-in show and didn't get a response, please email me again. I do apologize for that. But, um, yes, I have no problem doing a call-in show about procrastination, please email me. You can find the email on the website. But the reality is you're just going to have to grit your teeth and you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to know that everybody's going to make a joke like, oh, a show about procrastination. 
I think I'm going to watch this later. <laughs> Everybody's so original, right? Let's see here. Thoughts on wax at potential Canadian civil war. People are fuming here in Alberta and it's turning into a powder keg. Yeah, you know, I mean, I tell you, if I was in Alberta, I could snap my fingers. There wouldn't be a whole lot that would stop me from, from doing that. All right. Can I do a show on Cicero? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I'm really enjoying, uh, well, I just, I did a show. It's going to come out soon. I did a show. It's long. Oh, it's long. It's long. It's long. It's over three hours. But I'm trying to do some sort of new stuff. So I did a show uh, recently, uh, how, how to deal with a nagging wife. And um, given that I'm down on YouTube, suppress on YouTube, about 90%, I just multiply everything by 10 to get back to my, my old numbers. But um, it was a husband, of course, and, and there was, I think, gave, I think it gave some good advice about how to deal with a nagging wife. Now, next thing you know, his wife emails me, and she wants to talk uh, on the show as well. So I did a show with a woman who's, you know, like an uber hottie and uh, super fit, like not quite bodybuilder, but, you know, massively fit and so on. And she was complaining about this guy. She She's perfect for him on paper, the share values and so on, but he's too deferential to her, and she is very much an alpha very smart and ambitious and certainly, you know, fit. And I saw a picture of very attractive, kind of an alpha. And, and she's just getting so frustrated with his lack of, um, what did she say? I just wanted to throw me up against a wall kind of thing. And anyway, so I, uh, I chatted with her and uh, I suggested that she try and get this guy. She's got this three-year on-again, off-again thing not in the fun way, relationship. And so I did a show with him and got his side of the story. And I put these two together in one big blob of a show. And I just, I find that stuff really, really interesting at the moment. I do, I'm about halfway through preparing a presentation on Immanuel Kant, which I've wanted to do ever since he was bitched at forever by um, Ayn Rand back in the day. So I've got all of that kind of stuff. And um, I think that's, uh, so I would love to do something on Cicero, uh, I believe it or not, I've been quite interested in Marilyn Monroe <laughs> recently for, for reasons I'll get into perhaps another time. And uh, there's lots of interesting stuff that I would like to work on. I, I need new topics, right? I mean, I, I was sort of looking back through the list of old topics. And um, it is, uh, I, I need some new topics. All right. Let's see here. Uh, if 25% of the population is below average intelligence, ooh, <laughs> well, uh, I think that'll be about 50%. It's below average intelligence. Does the NAP allow for sociopaths to abuse members of this group in non-aggressive ways? How would this be discouraged in an ANCAP society? Uh, maybe you should do a call in on that because I'm not really sure exactly what happens, right? Uh, you say you're not concerned about automation because new jobs will arise. But what happens when robots design the robots and aren't jobs are oversaturated? Is that all jobs are oversaturated? I'm not sure what that means. So, well, you know, one of the reasons that I spent years talking about a topic that I'm kind of burnt out on, sort of the IQ stuff, is we just we need to have sympathy for the members of the population, the members of people in society who, through no fault of their own, are born um, of uh, of of lower uh, lower intelligence. Right? It's not their fault. They're worthy of respect. They're human beings, just like everyone else. And uh, I think once we understand that, we'll have a lot more charity. We'll have a lot less rage towards the wealthy or the successful, and we'll have a lot more sympathy towards people who are less successful. And I think that a combination of a free market plus a genuine and understanding sympathy 
for people who, through no fault of their own, happen to be less intelligent, I think is the way that we end up with a civilized society. Because right now what's happening is we are um, hollowing out the middle class, we are swelling the ranks of the poor, and we are swelling the incomes of the wealthy, right? As you know, um, uh, well, the, the income of the wealthy has, over the last couple of decades, gone literally through the roof. I mean, it's just crazy how high it's gone. And there's a variety of reasons for that, some of which are market-related and some of which, or I guess a lot of which, are not market-related. But we're kind of hollowing out the middle. We're turning into one of these Brazil-style societies with shanty towns and gated communities. And that's not good. And what's going to happen is there's going to be more demands for more and more socialism, just as there was in Venezuela and just as there is growing in uh, Chile and other South and Central American uh, countries. And there's going to be a massive crash and the amount of suffering is going to be or could potentially be something that has had no precedent in human history. So uh, I would very much like it if we didn't have that. All right. Let's see. Uh, hey, Stefan, are you worried your movie won't save you and your career is fizzling away? <laughs> well, that's interesting, right? So, I mean, there certainly are some people who are cheering the decline in my views. I don't really think that is uh, the case. So I I certainly can, can track what's going on, uh, on on YouTube, and there certainly have been declines, but the numbers have been holding steady and actually increasing on podcasts, right? So remember, I mean, podcasts was my first form, and that's still a central aspect to what it is that I'm doing. So yeah, I mean, I, I do get like when people say your career is fizzling away and all of that, there is this kind of... Uh, um, I guess it's kind of grim satisfaction that uh, it's been a tough year uh, for the show. And um, yeah, well, I mean, what can I do? I could just, I can keep telling the truth and I can keep um, attempting to, you know, it's funny because the balance, it's an interesting balance, just, you know, for those who want to to lift the lid, right? So it's an interesting balance. I certainly want to do things that the audience enjoys. No question about that. I, I, I want to do things that the audience enjoys. But at the same time, it also has to be things that I enjoy am, and am motivated to do. And my motivations shift quite a bit. I'm at a 15-year period, a 15-year mark in my uh, public career as uh, a, um, a philosopher, as an intellectual, or a podcaster, if that's what you prefer. So I'm at about a 15-year. Now, I've known for a long time, I've known for a long time, that 15 years is a big transition point in any creative person's career. And you can see this, uh, you can watch this uh, interview with uh, Bob Dylan, where he talks about uh, his motivations and, and how he, you know, he simply can't do what he did when he was younger. And I think of the topics that I have covered in terms of philosophy, my gosh, I mean, really, just you can look back over the catalog. I mean, I've done, you know, free will, determinism, concept formation, metaphysics, epistemology, ethics, politics. Um, I've done uh, family structures. I've done anarchism. I've done political analysis. I've done analysis of historical figures. I've done massive numbers, uh, endless numbers of debates. I've done thousands of listener call-in shows on just about every topic under the sun. I've done the R versus K stuff. I've done the bomb and the brain stuff. I've done the effects of childhood on uh, childhood abuse on society. I've done uh, drug addiction. I've done uh, and actually got an email about legislation that's uh, being favorably passed based upon the presentation I did on the destruction of America's 
mental health care system and all of that, which is really a very, very positive thing. And so, and this just off the top of my head, you know, if I dug down, I did, I've done crypto, bitcoins, uh, and you, you name it, right? I've done economic analysis. I hosted the Peter Schiff show for, for some times uh, when, when he was unavailable. And I've done uh, economics, uh, you know, just that there's almost been no topic that I haven't, whether wisely or foolishly, sort of waded into and dealt with. And 15 years is like what you can get out of momentum, right? When you've got a lot of sort of pent-up thoughts and energy, as I had when I started the show, you get 15 years. And this is something I, I read many, many years ago from John Cleese, which is, you know, you get 15 years of this peak creativity and productivity, and then you need to find some other way to get yourself juiced. And this is why I will change topics. It's why I'm like a, a terrier on a bone with topics for some time, and then I'm doing something else, right? I need to stay energized. I need to stay motivated. And every topic I've done is a topic that's not usually massively useful to revisit. I can do it kind of in passing or in reference, but um, I've done relationships. I've done love, the nature of, of um, romance, and, and I've done parenting, and I've got anti-spanking. Like, I've done so many topics. And it's sort of like every song you write is a song you can't write again. And if you look at most people who are artists or who are creative, there's like this, again, this 15 years seems to be quite, quite strong. And you look at the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, even Pink Floyd and so on. This 15-year thing is, is really kind of, uh, kind of important. And so I've been sort of recognizing this. I'm not trying to make it a self-fulfilling prophecy and philosophy isn't the same as songwriting, obviously, right? But it is kind of important that I both please you as audience members and also please myself in terms of remaining my motivation and enthusiasm. And, you know, it's been tough, right, because I really like public speaking and I'm very good at it. But it's been tougher and tougher to do in many ways because of, you know, pushback and, and violence and bomb threats and death threats and all that kind of stuff. So that's been uh, kind of whittled, whittled back uh, considerably. And I used to do meetups. Uh, I can do those in – I did – one in Poland, which was great. I did one in Hong Kong, which was great. But certainly in the West, uh, it's really not that that possible. So when people know that I'm coming, uh, you know, they can cause a lot of trouble and, and it can be quite problematic. And a lot of times uh, you just you can't do what you need to do, right? You can't do what you want to do. So I want to maintain my restlessness and I want to maintain my enthusiasm. And if avenues get closed off, right, so like uh, – touring and, and speaking and, and meetups and all that kind of stuff, then that becomes a bit of a challenge. So this is one of the reasons why I am still going to do the documentaries, and I hope that you will enjoy them and, and continue to, to support them because um, they work, and I think they're effective, and I think that they're powerful. So, all right, let us continue. Uh, what are your thoughts on hedonic adaptation? I'm not really, really sure. New topic. Will there be a second civil war in the USA? Yeah, it seems increasingly likely. And there's something worse than a second civil war, which is capitulation to the hard left. All right. Free market with quantitative easing. Ha, 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 as if. Yeah, well, that's, that's fair enough. Do any of you read your own... Oh, sorry. Someone else. Hi, Stefan. Are you in danger of being deleted from YouTube tomorrow? I don't, uh, I don't know, obviously. Uh, I don't know for sure. I don't, um, uh, I'm not privy to those kinds of decisions. I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't know. We shall, we shall find out. 
All right. Uh, somebody says, oh, hey, welcome back. I've seen you before. As an empiricist, what do you think of all the smart, competent people like Styx, Scott Adams, Sam Harris, Joe Rogan, etc., who consistently claim positive effects from psychedelics? Um, compared to what? Compared to what? I mean, some of those people I respect. Some of those people I don't. So, I mean, compared to compared to what? I mean, compared to robust and assertive self-knowledge compared to therapy compared to philosophy yeah you can you can get some positive effects from psychedelics for sure but um i wouldn't say that uh it's as good as philosophy or self-knowledge so uh let's see here do a meetup in pittsburgh the left is half muted here because of all the bridges and tunnels and gun ownership <laughs> would you will you consider going to texas to give a speech hey man set it up let me know how does male homosexuality make sense evolutionarily? Well, of course, there is all of that uh, question around the origins of uh, homosexuality um, and whether it's uh, genetic, whether it's environmental and so on. And there's a lot of uh, pressure around these kinds of issues. And I will refer you, of course, to Douglas Murray's great book uh, on the madness of crowds, which is well worth reading in this. So for male homosexuality, I mean, if you think of bees or ants there are members of the bee and ant hive and colony that don't reproduce right there are worker bees there are the soldier ants and so on and so for male homosexuality think of a long distance hunting party uh, or think of you know the sort of ancient greek style warriors where if you have uh, homosexuals in your long-term hunting party they can hunt for longer and further because they're not yearning to get back and have sex with their wives and also there i think is a bond in um, uh, in the military, uh, if there are homosexuals in the military who have relationships, there is a bond there that could make their fighting um, strength more more ferocious, right? Why have men got nipples? Um, because they don't do any harm, and evolution doesn't prune that which is not really um, uh, not really. Uh, oh, let's see here. Sorry, let me just see. Here. Will you consider not answering ignorant questions, right? <laughs> All right, let's see here. What do we got? Uh, are you working on a philosophy curriculum? No, I'm. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, that's that's a very, very big, very, very big deal. And in general, like the amount of work, and you can look at um, boy, you want to see someone who's done a lot of work on homeschooling. Uh, look at Tom Woods. Tom Woods, uh, and it's worth signing up for his newsletter, in my humble opinion. But Tom Woods, uh, and also the Ron Paul curriculum, and so on. You can also look at the curriculum that has been developed by Dr. Duke Pester at fpeusa.org, I think it is. Freedom Project Academy. Just look them up. Uh, it's 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 a massive amount of work to put together these. And I remember having a chat with Tom Woods once about just how much blinding amount of work he had to do. Uh, and um, I just, uh, I, I <laughs> you know... To put that amount of work in, I really would kind of have to charge for it. And I kind of have a I kind of have a thing like I just don't want to charge for stuff. And so um, there's lots of good people out there. I will do I will do this this coming year. Come hell or high water, I'm going to do a history of philosophy. And uh, that is just something I'm desperate to do. And, I, you know, this is coming out of please go watch Hoaxed Movie at hoaxedmovie.com. And um, look at my explanation of Plato's cave in there, and uh, it's really, really great. All right, let's see here. Glad I caught the stream. Well, I'm glad that you're here. Brett Weinstein did an interview with Douglas Murray on the topic of homosexuality. All right, good, good, to, uh, good to hear. 
Uh, how can I help my friend who is obsessed with a girl that doesn't want him but keeps him around? Well, talk to your friend about his mother. Because if he is drawn to a woman who rejects him, it's because I would imagine that his mother rejected him and that's just what he uh, what he's used to, right? All right. Um, have you ever watched Taxi Driver? What do you think of the movie? Oh, I mean, the movie is hell on earth, right? I mean, it's Joker 1.0, and uh, it's really, really ghastly. It is, um, uh, you know, nasty and unpleasant, and it's a view down into the brokenness at the bottom of society that gives people very little hope for any kind of solution with regards to this kind of stuff. So I watched it many, many, many years ago. And uh, I did find it tough to get through. I mean, I, I understand the dark art of making that kind of movie, but, you know, it's, and these days too, what is there a new movie out? I think it's on Netflix called The Irishman with Joe Pesci and uh, Robert De Niro and uh, Al Pacino and so on. It's like, oh, great, Joe Pesci and <laughs> Robert De Niro playing gangsters again. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't know how people can um, deal with that kind of repetition or not. Have you addressed the fact that Epstein was a Mossad agent or asset? Um, well, I, uh, you know, I don't think that's confirmed. I certainly understand that, uh, it was it Ghislaine Maxwell. Her father was uh, rumored to be in that situation. Uh, it wouldn't shock me, uh, in particular. So, uh, let's see here. What do you believe about extraterrestrial life? Well, um, I, I believe it exists. Uh, I believe it, look. 100 billion stars in a galaxy, 100 billion galaxies. There's no way we're the only M-class Goldilocks planet in the universe, you know, in that not-too-hot-not-too-cold situation. And you can see, of course, all around the planet how life is so eager to evolve. Well, it's eager, in a sense, to be birthed and then to evolve. And so I have no doubt whatsoever that there is life, intelligent life, elsewhere in the universe but unless there's any capacity to crap, <laughs> to crap, unless that we, we end up with any capacity to crack the speed of light problem, in other words, other than I think mostly theoretical tachyons, can we go faster than light? Well, it kind of doesn't matter. It kind of doesn't matter because the amount of distance, right? Let's say that, what is it, Betelgeuse is like uh, 300 light years away or something like that. Alpha Centauri is 4.3 light years or something like that. So let's say that there's intelligent life on Betelgeuse, but it takes us 300 years to get there. Now, I get subjectively, like, you're going faster than light, time slows down, and, you know, you, you end up in a Brian May song. But um, let's say it's 300 years away. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, I guess we can go out, and maybe they could come back. But, I mean, the communication would be, you know, you, you send a you, – you pick up the phone, and then they – pick up the phone at the other end 300 years from now, I really don't know, unless they end up moving much closer, whatever, right? Maybe they can um, create a new planet near us. I know, probably couldn't, right? Too much gravity pull. But um, so I, th I think that there is intelligent life out there in the universe. The, you know, the idea that, you know, there's this whole Star Trek question and all of that. And the idea that we're going to end up with anything close to proximate development with other intelligent life forms is, I mean, no. No, that's not going to happen because, you know, 
the universe is what, 13 billion years old, life is three or four billion years old, and you just think of the amount of difference, humanity is only 150,000 years old. So imagine that you end up at the same level of development with all of those variables as some other intelligent life form that's somewhere proximate. No, no, I don't, I don't really see. So I bet it's out there, but, um, ah, wait a minute. Oh my gosh, we, I think we have, I think we have, the movie is going to be up very, very soon. Let me just get here. Uh, and make sure we got the premiere coming. Oh, look at that. I really, really appreciate you guys staying up late. And uh, let me just get this for you, right? Oh, my gosh. Good for you. Good for me. Good for everyone. All right. So let me just get you the link here. I'm going to put this in the chat, and you guys should definitely watch this. All right. Chat, it's been a pop-out. Great to hear. Great to hear. So what if you fuse it down? Who said you would be thanked for your work? Socrates was forced to drink poison. You know, that is a very good, uh, that is a very good point. All right. So here is the link. Uh, I'm also going to put this, sorry, just to be annoying. Amen the phone. Okay. Let me just go here and make sure that I get the, um, the movie out here on Twitter, a couple other places. Um, uh, here we go. So the share. Yeah, 10 minutes from now, we're going to watch this movie, man. You're going to love it. Hey, you guys want to do a, um, do you guys want to do a, a live stream afterwards? This is, I mean, I love you guys. It's really, really, really super fun to chat. So let's see here. Uh, movie starting in 10 minutes, comma, please come by exclamation mark. Mm-hmm. All right, hold on just a second. I'm sorry to be doing all of this. Is Mexico ruled by drug lords? Yeah, it seems to be, right? All right, let me just throw this out a couple of other places. I'm sorry to be doing all this uh, silly work while we're uh, we're chatting, but uh, it seems to be kind of important. Uh, let me see here. Oh, I can't wait for you guys to watch this. I'm really, really uh, thrilled about this uh, movie. Um, by the way, I look a little thick in the movie, <laughs> just so you know, I had some significant digestive issues, um, on, uh, in, in Hong Kong. So anyway, let's see here. Uh, where else can I put this dude? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I should, I should give it to our producer as well. Uh, right. Let me just get, uh, this ready. I'm answering another question or two, 9.51. Yeah. Nine minutes to go, baby until this beast is uh, loose on the world. All right. So, let's see here. <sighs> let's see here. What is the documentary about? Is it the protest or something else? Well, I'm not going to tell you what the documentary is about. It's about Hong Kong and the fight for freedom. <laughs> you got to watch it. It's the world ruled by evil. Uh, the world is ruled by force. And the world is ruled by child abuse. Stefan would be an awesome dungeon master. Well, I am not going to uh, disagree with you there. What do you think of Aristotle's unmoved mover argument? I think it suffers from the problem of infinite regression. Uh, let's see here. I don't keep in contact with anyone of my family. Uh, is there a metaphysical basis for solving the problems of society? The problems of society must be solved by uh, ethics or unfortunately they're going to end up being solved by massive amounts of violence and suffering so i don't know much about proprietarianism i'm afraid 
Do you believe we will ever have thorium-based nuclear power plants that will solve our energy needs forever? Maybe. Yeah, I guess I hate to say pretty non-issue, right? But um, there would certainly be good arguments for having those. Uh, I'm, of course, much less scared of nuclear power than I was in the past. And uh, Scott Adams have got great stuff on this. How do you justify sleep training if you're for peaceful parenting? That is a very interesting question. I would say that I justify sleep training by saying that if you don't train your children how to sleep, they will end up with significant sleep issues even into their 20s, right? The studies have been done. The people who had sleep issues as babies and they never got sleep trained, they ended up with significant sleep issues into their 20s and probably beyond. And training someone how to sleep well is really foundational to them having a happy and productive and positive life. So let's see here. Uh, I wish I could watch it full. How long does it go for? It's two hours, I believe. A little bit. And it is very, very good. Yeah, I had total dad bod in this. And it's funny, you know, because you can see... Um, at the very beginning, when I did the interview with Harminder Singh, I had normal flat belly. And then, yeah, as I went on, <laughs> it was just a mess. It was just a mess. Uh, sleep training is when you um, let the child, uh, um, you can cry, cry, cry out to sleep. Uh, let's see here. Do you believe Greta Thunberg is a globalist plant? Well, I, I don't think she became famous all by her lonesome. Um, what would I have to do to get you to come to Nashville, Tennessee? Man, you know, make it happen. Make it happen. Make it happen. I'm, I'm open. Uh, who watches the watches? Who provides oversight to the overseers? Well, with everyone watching what's going on with the FBI's collapsing credibility these days, there is no one who can watch the watchers other than the, um, the, free, the free market, right? That's why I read my books, Everyday Anarchy and Practical Anarchy. They are on freedomain.com and they are free. What part of Ireland are you from, big man? I am from Athlone, smack dab in the middle of southern Ireland. Do you believe that religion does more good than harm in society? Well, you see, you've got to differentiate a religion because there are two kinds of religions, right? One, which is pretty much Christianity, maybe one or two others. One is the religion that has as its moral commandments universals. Right, it's not an in-group preference thing. It's not a uh, uh, our team good, your team bad sort of thing. It is um, universal, universal ethics. Other religions, um, well, they're in-group preference stuff, and that's pretty bad. I don't know what would happen if China would attack Taiwan, um, but it would be very bad for the world economy as a whole, and I don't think that they will. Let's see here. Will you have another night of freedom in New York City? That's something you'll have to check about with Mike Cernovich. <laughs> Greater reminder, okay. Why didn't you debate with Destiny? Oh, I got some feedback from a guy who was in touch with Destiny, and it was all just, I know, sorry about my glasses. I got him bent. I'll fix them out. Um, yeah, Destiny didn't seem to have any serious topics. and was very sort of frivolous about it, so nah, forget it. All right. Um, Hindu is also universalist. Well, that's nice to hear. Uh, how does Canada do in philosophy? Uh, badly. Very, very badly. Steph is Irish. I just thought he was pretentious. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Um, a few months ago in a video, you stated we were going to stop doing call-ins. More recently, you said you were going to do more, which is the case. So the call, what I meant by... So I used to do this call-in format, which was, you know, I'd sit here, stand in front of a camera for like three or four hours sometimes, it was even five or five plus hours when people had really, really great questions. 
it was kind of exhausting and I could feel the quality declining as I sort of went on. So what I'm doing is I'm doing sort of one-on-one call-in shows. Um, I can go more deeply into particular topics without feeling like, oh, people are waiting and there's something else. So I do these dial-in shows. You can follow me on Twitter. You can just call me on the phone and we'll do shorter topics that way. Uh, but uh, I don't have a brogue because I did not grow up in Ireland. Do I play D&D with my daughter? Uh, no. Uh, we did a little bit earlier where, you know, it was all uh, kind of acrobatics and stuff, no fighting sword death stuff. But um, I uh, uh, now we just sort of do a role-playing thing. She's currently running for mayor in, in the village of our sort of Dungeons & Dragons stuff, right? Lauren Southern is very well. When will Elon Musk be ready to take you home? It's pretty funny. I'm not sure I'd take a ride from that guy these days. All right. Um, okay, 9.57. Has the situation in Hong Kong gotten better or worse since you filmed? I'm afraid to say both. Um, yeah, sleep training is important, right? I mean, and it's not, it's not the initiation of the use of force to let a child cry herself to sleep. And I've, you, I've got videos on this where I answered that question because people were kind of shocked. Uh, we started our show because of your call to action. Would you be willing to be a guest on our show to have uncomfortable conversations without a condom? <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a real question or not. I really don't know. Can you please address your free domain email, regardless of which email you use? It sends it back. Just use the email that's on the website. So, Let's see here. Have you smoked weed? No, I've never smoked weed. Let's see here. Would you ever come back to New Zealand? Uh, you get me a new prime minister and I'll think about it. Was it dangerous in Hong Kong? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. You'll see in the movie. I've never played Legend of Zelda. Play Minecraft. We've done. Have I listened to The Who's new album? No, they put a new album out and I like The Who, so I should check it out. I just really don't have that much time at the moment. Uh, documentary is coming tonight. Coming tonight. It should be starting. Okay, listen. Go over to the um, movie and uh, I'm going to close this uh, live stream. You guys got to head over to the movie. I'm going to just, uh, what I got here, paste here. Go to this address right here, right here. And um, you got to watch that and uh, I'll, I'll stick around. We can do another, um, uh, we can do another uh, chat after the, um, after the movie, but it's going to start in a minute or two. So uh, just do that and uh, we'll We'll chat after. All right. Thanks, everyone. Uh, I will uh, uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. And, and uh, of course, thanks for your interest in all of that. I'll, I'll close this one uh, at the moment.